This episode is brought to you by our friends at Detroit Boxing Company. They're a clothing brand that focuses on quality and comfort. I have a few of their shirts and they are comfy as hell. And not only are you going to look great, but I swear when I put my shirt on, I can throw my jab cross hook way better. Maybe that's just the placebo effect, but I swear it looked way better. If you want to learn more about the company and what TJ has been putting together, you should listen to episode number 36 of the podcast. I had a chance to talk to him about his motivations and what inspired him to start the company. He's a wonderful dude and what he's putting out is great. So be sure to check out their website at DetroitBoxingCompany.com. And at the checkout, make sure you use the word CoreyCast, all one word, no E, C-O-R-Y-C-A-S-T, and save yourself 10% at checkout. It's time to treat yourself. This episode of the podcast, my friend Chelsea from Washington joins me. She is an attorney and she is a great human being. I learned a lot from this conversation from how she became an attorney and then what's life like being a female in a very male-dominated work environment. Really cool conversation and I learned a lot and I hope you learned some cool stuff from this conversation. So here is my friend Chelsea Butchard. Sure. So my name is Chelsea Butchard, and I'm currently a Washington Rule 9 Limited License legal intern and awaiting my bar exam results so I can be a full-blown attorney. Whoa. Yeah, now it's a long process, huh? From start yeah. to finish in law school. What what does the roadmap look like? Because I am completely ignorant with something like this. <laughs> um, yeah, so was I before I decided that's the route I wanted to go. Um, so you need a bachelor's degree to get into law school. For the school I went to, it didn't matter what your degree was in. So my degree was in psychology. Um, and oh, I that kind of fits. Yeah, it was super helpful, especially because I practice family law. So it's basically being a psychologist and an attorney all in one. Right. Um, a lot of people major in poli sci, so they can, you know, just go right into it. Um, which is political science for people that may not know. Um, And then you have to take the LSAT, which is an exam to get into law school. And they base it on, it's like reading comprehension and logic skills. Mm. Um, It's like a general studies kind of thing. Kind of, yeah. And it really has nothing to do with law school. So it's it's kind of pointless. Um, but you do need a score to get in. And, um, after you do that, you apply, which is a pretty, for me, it took a while because I was working and going to school at the same time. Um, but you apply to a law school or whatever, however many law schools you want to go to, and then you either get accepted or not. (laughs) So if, when you get accepted, how is that another four years you go to school for? It's three years. Three. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And do you pick what avenue of law you want to go into from the jump? Um, you can, but you don't have to. So for my school, and this might be different for other schools, but for my school where I went in Oregon, um, it's just a general overall law. So it's a doctorate degree of it's a juris doctorate degree so a doctorate Mm. of jurisprudence that's cool that sounds fancy it's super fancy yeah i like it (laughs) a doctor you have to say it with an accent though yeah doctorate of jurisprudence or else i love that like old victorian (laughs) accent that's not the baller i like that (laughs) that's so it's stressful like zero out of ten don't recommend going to law school now, what makes it so stressful? Is it the expectations or just the sheer amount of work that you're trying to do? I think it's all of that. Um, there is so much pressure. And I know even for my school, we weren't very competitive against each other. But there are schools out there like, you know, the Yales and all of those higher tiered schools that they really 
pit students against each other because it's all of the exams are based on a bell curve. So you are quite literally competing against your classmates. Oh, okay. So it's not just like a passing grade is 60. It's literally based on, wow. When, why would they do it that way though? Because they're terrible. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's, it's that aspect. And for me, I'm a competitive person, but I'm competitive in like sports and I'm not competitive in like education. I want to learn as much as I can and I want everyone to learn as much as they can. So that was really hard for me. Right. Um, and it's just the workload, you know, I'm a single mom too. So I was trying to be a mom and study and do all of the things that I needed to do all at the same time. And I never got any of them done at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And that's like the, that whole work-life balance must've been hard because it's not just, I mean, if there's like some days where I feel like I'm struggling, right. With real estate and then Ashen, and then there's other days that's manageable, but I also, I'm not going to school on top of all of that. So I can't even imagine. Totally. Yeah. It was really hard. And in that sense too, there's a lot of people, they're called K through JDs. So they're just going from kindergarten all the way to getting their mm-hmm. JD. Yeah. So they're younger. So that was really hard for me to try to, you know, people would, my friends that I made at school would ask me, you know, how can I help you? Or why aren't you getting this? And I'm like, I just have so much going on. I, I felt like no one related. So right. that personally, that was harder for me to deal with. Did no one related in the sense that like nobody else had a kid in school. Nobody else was also having to juggle a full-time job. Cause I would imagine law school is, is very difficult. Like you're saying, and most of those people are only are in college and to be in college and not usually working. I could be wrong. I'm sure there's cases. Yeah. For law school, uh, our law school, we could not work the first year. Mm. We were forbidden from working the first year. So I quit my job. Um, and thankfully I'm very privileged to have my family that was helping me out during that time. Um, but every, so every year after that I would intern, um, which was kind of working, but it was very limited amounts of working. Yeah. And when, when you intern, what is that? Are you managing cases and then the, the head attorney is just like overseeing them or is it really like what everybody says when you're an intern, you're just a coffee getter, right? (laughs) I think it depends on the internship that you do. So Mm. my first internship was at the, our superior court house here. And so I was just basically doing research for a judge. Um, Um, So I didn't really do much. I mean, he was wonderful. So he didn't make me do those things like get coffee for him. And Um, I actually got to learn quite a bit. Um, and then my other internship landed me the job I have now, which was at a private practice. And that was way more responsibilities. I was drafting, I was researching, I would have client contact sometimes. Um, I was mostly observing, but there are definitely internships where they just make you do all of the things they don't want to do. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So really- and. I think it probably depends too. I, it sounds like you get, you got into a good, a good group of people that weren't making you uh, get, be the coffee chaser. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did. Very did, um, You have to do a certain amount of uh, work hours, interning hours, a part of finishing law school. Um, it's not required, but I did the, it's called the externship program. So I got to work a specific amount of hours for school credit, um, but we could choose. So I think it was, oh God, I can't even remember now, but it was like 17 hours per week for a certain amount of credits, but you had to manage your own time logs and turn in all of these things, but it's not required. You could go throughout law school and not intern anywhere. I don't recommend that either though, because on the job training is very, very important. Yeah. It seems like, being hands-on for a lot of that because is law school very helpful in actually practicing law or do you feel like it's kind of a weird hoop you have to jump through? Uh, I feel like it's mostly a hoop. um, That's how real estate, real estate's the same way. Like real estate, (laughs) when you take the course, you got to take a 
like a 48 or 72 hour class and it's it teaches you nothing about actually selling a, a house it's literally just like this is what riparian rights are and this is you know this type of deed and then there's a warranty deed and then you have yeah. the it like is zero information about how to actually sell so right. is is that kind of the case in law school yes i would say yeah. so because for me, I knew I wanted to go into family law, so but not a lot of people do. But we have these required courses we have to take, like real estate transactions, for example, mm. that I don't care about at all. <laughs> I don't right. care about that. I don't want to learn about it. It was yeah. boring for me. I didn't get it, right? Yeah. But I had to learn it. And I'll never retain that information ever again. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's weird that sometimes the the education and the certain jobs and careers are not even grounded in what, how the job really works at some yeah, points, you know? Exactly. And I think one of the only things that really helps everyone is there's two classes, at least minimum, for legal writing and research mm. um, because it's totally different from undergrad writing, like APA format style, completely different. And I had a really hard time transitioning from that style of writing, you know, from writing psychology issues in essays mm -hmm. to legal writing. It's a whole different thing. Yeah. So that that, was when, I when I read like legal writing, I'm very confused by it. Yes. Here into thereafter. <laughs> and <laughs> everything needs a citation afterwards, which in mm -hmm. APA, they're like, try not to cite as much as you can, you know, maybe cite every five sentences or whatever it is. Right. In legal writing, you can cite after every single sentence that you write. Jeez. Because <laughs> you have to prove it came somewhere and that you're not just making it up. Yeah, right, right. That's true. And literally every sentence too. Every sentence. <laughs> right, right. Wow. Yeah. You know, like to, I guess, I guess what I should ask, what made you get into family law? Because there's so many different types of law. Like you mentioned real estate, family, divorce, estate. Like there's so many different kinds. Why, uh, why family? Yeah. So I'm divorced and I went through my divorce with a child. So going through that experience, I interviewed a bunch of local attorneys and I didn't like them. I think they, you know, you can tell when you're meeting someone, especially in sales or real estate or wherever a person or a professional makes money off of you, that you can tell if they're, they're genuine or not. Mm. And so uh, my experience wasn't the best locally. And I felt like a lot of the divorce attorneys around here weren't listening to me. And I was young. I was like 24 or 25 when that happened. And so nobody took me seriously. And it was very frustrating. Um, yeah. And I had a good job and I could pay retainers. So I just felt like I was overlooked until I met my attorney that I hired, who's still my attorney to this day. Um, she took the time. And I think it was because she related to me and had a child that had some, well, hers had disabilities, but mine at that time had, you know, some learning um, disabilities at that moment. Um, so I was like, man, why did that take so long <laughs> for me right. to find someone who actually gave a shit about me, you know, yeah. and my case. And so at that time I was also kind of stagnant at my job and I loved it and I made great money, but I felt like I was losing brain cells working there cause it was very robotic. <laughs> yeah. What'd you do so before? I did sales for a fitness company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was very like, you know, sales process and yeah. you know, I just, and I couldn't really move up in the company, which I wanted to do. Um, so that's when I decided that's what I was going to do is go to law school. And if I had a complaint about my local legal community, then I'm going to change it. <laughs> right. That's cool. That's a good way to think of it. Yeah. Do you now when you're in the the roles are reversed and now when people come to talk to you? Well, I don't know. Is that how it works right now? If you're not a technically an attorney passing the, the bar exam, can you take new clients? Yes. So under my rule nine internship, I have a limited license to practice. So I okay. am taking clients right now under supervision of my boss. Okay. So like when they... 
go to your office to interview you are you like more hyper conscious about that when you go into that first initial meeting yeah definitely and i mean i think my personal opinion and this might be my psychology background but i think that you know the divorce and child custody world is so emotional anyway yeah. to begin with and if you're treated like okay i don't care i don't care what you say this is how the court is going to see it which ultimately that is what it is but as attorneys i feel like it's imperative to show emotion or at least that you're listening and that you're understanding where your clients coming from even mm -hmm. if they are so <laughs> off the wall you know anxious and they're spinning yeah. out of control like you know it's your job to listen to them and empathize with them Right. Right. And that's, that's probably one of the biggest things that do you think that's one of the biggest things you focused on getting in the career was like, listen, I, I've been in that position where I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't heard. And now I, I want to make that my, my big priority for people. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. And I think that also comes from, you know, sales and customer service background is I don't really know how to turn that off anymore. <laughs> right. But that's how you retain clients too. I mean, I'm sure you know, working yeah. in real estate, you know, you have to listen to what your clients want. Right. And like you get, like with attorneys, you know, you'll get interviewed sometimes. A uh, potential seller will have you over to do your whole, like thinking about selling my, you know, my mom's house, she passed away. I want to know what it's worth. But you come over for an interview and it's not just you. Right after you leave, you got another agent coming in after you. And then there's another appointment later tonight. So they're, they're trying to compare agents. I've gotten lucky where that hasn't happened to me too many times, just maybe like once or twice. Mm -hmm. But I think the best way to overcome that is with me, I don't have a plan. Like I don't like, like I have my, like my PowerPoint, right? Like I, this is what I think you, this is what the house compares to yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But some, I feel like some people have like a script and they make it so rigid and they make it so like in the box where I think, I feel like I get a lot better reception if I'm just like, so tell me about your mom. Yeah. What, what, what made your mom, why is this house kept her here for 30 years? What about, yeah. tell me about the memories you had in the living room. What's like one good thing, like try to, to be more real with them about other than like, Hey, I can sell your house for X, Y, Z. Everybody can sell a house in this market. Yeah. Right. So be a little bit more genuine when you talk to them. Right. Totally. It just seems like, I think that's what people want more, more than ever. And it's not only, you know, being genuine, but it's also building that rapport because you are building relationships because right. you want them to come back to you and you want them to be happy with their result. Right. right. So it's not just trying to necessarily sell them, um, right. but you know, it's, it's building that rapport to make them feel comfortable and to keep that relationship going. Like, right. And, and make it set off on the right foot right off the exactly. gate. Exactly. Right. Like, I how don't do you care. like find new clients? Like, is it through word of mouth? Like if one person uses you, they had a great experience with you. Is it mostly, Hey, you got to go talk to Chelsea. Cause she, she was amazing through our divorce. Yeah. I think, you know, I grew up here. So I think a lot of people, a lot of my friends have been waiting to refer people to me. So that's <laughs> really nice. Um, but it's right now it's just word of mouth. We don't have really an ability to network because of the pandemic. Um, but one thing I really like about our firm is that we hold, uh, well, now it's weekly, weekly free clinics, legal clinics, and they're all virtual. So I've gained quite a few um, clients from just helping them out with quick legal advice. And they decide to retain me after that. So huh. those are really the only two ways right now. Interesting. So it's like a, uh, it's like an open panel where they can come and just ask you a, a quick question. They sign up for, they sign up like with the week before, and mm. then we put them in little like 30 minute slots and oh. meet with them really quickly. Yeah. Shit. That's cool. Yeah. It's really that's cool. A, that's a great way. I'm like already trying to turn my gears <laughs> and thinking how you would do that for, for real estate, you real know, estate? yeah, right. That's cool. That's, that's really impressive. Do you think that's really the only way that you guys like kind of market to clients? Do you guys have like any of those radio ads or TV ads or anything? 
No, we don't advertise really. Um, I mean, just like the real estate industry, the family law industry right now is booming, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, that's sad. unfortunately, um, because everybody has been home with their spouses and figure out, hey, I don't actually really like you or spending way too much time with you. Yeah. Or, you know, we've had a significant increase in domestic violence, which is really unfortunate. Um, and we have been helping people out of those situations, too. So. Yeah, I mean, it, there's so much going on right now that we don't even need to advertise or network or really try to do anything because there's so much business right now. Right. Yeah, it always, I if anybody's listening, that's an injury attorney. I'm sorry, but it always seems to be like those ones that have the weird commercials. Like in New York, oh, yeah. we got a couple of them that's like Alexander and Catalano hurt in a car. Call William Attar four 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 four. We have all those. Like, I feel like you've heard that quite a few times. <laughs> so many times, yeah. and not not in that. I'm not like knocking on their their practice, yeah. but it's just it's funny. It's usually these the injury lawyers that have like I don't see like a a quirky catchy divorce attorney phone number jingle you know what oh. i mean it's like it's like hurting a car call william matar you know what i mean it's like those kind of those kind of or dui numbers. attorneys they usually have those too yeah what's that dui attorneys mm, right yeah right. they usually have those yeah no, we don't do that <laughs> do you think there is you said with divorce rates like rising with covid do you think there's a common thread in all of these kind of issues? Is it like communication? Is it um, not enough space? Is it everybody being together all of the time more? Maybe all the, maybe everything. I think it's a bit of everything. Yeah. Um, I think there's been, at least in cases that I've seen recently over the last year, there's been a lot of, um, deceitfulness you know mm -hmm. people are are which i mean there always is but you know people are hiding things and it's easier to find out about them because you're at home with them um and i think you know especially for the older generation you know the generation above ours um there's a lot of you know oh we're they weren't spending lots of time together because one person was working or both people were working and now all of a sudden they're in close quarters together and they realize we actually don't have much in common or this political environment has them completely yeah. divided and they realize that they are not on the same page about a lot of big issues. Um, we've seen a lot of that too. So yeah, and COVID, I mean, COVID has brought out super dividing issues between couples yeah i feel like everything's amped up it's like you just yeah. put everything like in a pressure cooker lately totally. that's what it feels like yeah i mean we i don't know how many times we have litigated getting people vaccinated it's been mm. you know and we have i mean we've gone to court and said you know either mom or dad is saying that the other party needs to be vaccinated before they see the kids because the kids can't be vaccinated or. Right. You know. um, so yeah, it's, there's so much going on right now. Wow. That's crazy. What do you think? Do you spend a lot of time in the courthouse or is it more in the office? Cause it's, I think a lot of people, including myself, have a misconception when you're in law that you spend 80% of your time in a courtroom and it's just like the TV. That's like, no. that's what I picture. <laughs> I, well, I mean, pre COVID, all of our hearings are virtual anyway. So we never go to the courthouse now. Mm. Um, but even before then hearings don't typically last that long. Most of our work, at least for family attorneys is done in office. Gotcha. Yeah. So not really so much of court cases bantering back and forth. No, and especially how our process works here in Washington is we have, we, I mean, 95% of our cases settle before they even go to a trial. Interesting. 95% so, yeah. settled. Well, not only because trials are, they're out months and months, um, but they're very unpredictable. You don't know what the judge is going to rule because um, right. it's not in front of a jury. 
the, that's what I was going to say. It's not in front of a jury of people who are going to vote for the decision. Yeah. The judge makes the decision. Exactly. Is there and, a difference in naming of those two ty- style of courts? I mean, it's just non-jury trial and jury trial. I think oh, there's okay. a bench trial, which is the judge or a jury trial. Oh, okay. I might be wrong if somebody is more experienced than me. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's okay. I was just thinking because I was like, I wonder if there's a, a special word for it. Yeah. So yeah, I know. I, I now that you say that, I guess that makes more sense. Ninety five percent are out of, out of the court because it almost seems like the courthouse seems to be like a, it's, when I say I say play, but it it makes it sound terrible when I say play because it's it's like legitimately someone's future, but it right. really is like you have to plan it's from A to Z yeah. every potential outcome. Yes. Did you have a class when you were in school that was just like? courtroom strategies 101 with mr smith (laughs) um no we we didn't really we had uh what's called civil procedure which are just like the rules um but there is it nothing yeah there's another god you just um, learn by doing i guess yeah well that's how i learned but there is another course called moot court which is basically fake court right oh yeah Um, I didn't do that, although I wish I did, but it was always after school. So I didn't have time to do it. Right. Um, but yeah, it's basically you, it's a mock trial where you have to prepare your arguments and the other side prepares and you prepare witnesses and. Oh my God. Yeah. But it's ours. My my palms are sweating. I, I I would crack in one of those. Like I would just crumble in one of those things. That's that I got called. I got a thing for jury duty and I was waiting for my number to get called just sweating it's like the middle of winter i'm sweating sitting waiting for them to pick my number and i'm like please don't call my name yeah <laughs> i don't want to go up there i don't want to do it please because i can't imagine but like there's a lot of attorneys i'm sure that spend maybe 50 percent of their times depending maybe if they're like a criminal lawyer right like i would imagine they probably spend more time in the courthouse than oh yeah maybe. criminal attorneys for sure um civil litigators definitely like for those who litigate um like car injuries like car accident injuries and things Mm. like that or or workers comp um but a lot of things are settled out of trial because trial is extremely expensive um and like i said you never know what the outcome is going to be right you got to be pretty confident in your case to want to bring it to trial or stubborn right (laughs) and rich right yeah when you when you're trying to to settle a divorce is it mostly you and the other divorce attorney kind of like going back and forth like kind of it's almost like a negotiation i'm thinking yeah right? pretty much um here and i don't know how it is everywhere else but in washington we have we can have hearings that um we go in front of a commissioner which is basically just a tiny step step down from a judge so they still mm-hmm. make rulings on other issues um you just don't go in front of the judge until trial Mm -hmm. but basically it's going back and forth with either the other party or the other attorney on the other side and kind of like hashing out the issues where the clients are not in agreement right right and is there anything that you had to give up that was like really funny like someone had to give up like a parrot or a, or a pet rock, like somebody really wants a pet rock or something? Not yet. I hope so, though, because I'm just going to be so excited. Like, I want to be able to tell people that I practice bird law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I want to have practice one bird so law. Bad. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Exactly. That, that, and there's also like, there's almost a sense of pride that being able to, to negotiate something that someone cares so much about, right? Like, that's also what I drew me to real estate was the fact that I'm like, I'm helping my buyers get a house that their dream house for the cheapest amount of money that I possibly can. It's a little bit yeah. harder in this market. Right. But still trying to do that. So it's like, you were trying to negotiate. All right. How am I going to get Mrs. Smith's bird back to her? <laughs> well, you might have to give up a certain percentage of your savings account to your husband. If you want to make it work, Yeah, but you will have the parrot. <laughs> you'll get the parrot. Yeah. I'm very excited to have one of those one day, like the beanie baby case. Yeah. (laughs) Give me the Beanie Baby case. I want to do that so bad. (laughs) Do you have a favorite case? Like, is there one that's you're like, you've, you love to read about? 
in general or in family law specifically? In general, we'll say. Um, oh, there's, there's a lot actually, cause I'm a nerd and I love reading about case law, but, um, at least when it's interesting, but there was, <laughs> it's not family law, but there's a really, really, really old case about these three guys that were, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, but they were out to sea and they ran out of food. And so one of the guys got really, really sick and he ended up falling into a coma. And so he was like unconscious on this boat. The other guys were hungry. And so they decided to eat him. No, they decided to eat him and they were like, he's going to die anyway. Um, you know, it's like the most humane decision we can make for everybody at this moment. Right. Right. And I, God, I'm, I can't remember. So it ended up that they ate him and then they were charged with, was it murder? It was like murder in, um, so they used the defense of like, uh, like an emergency, mm. basically, like it, right. they, they needed to do it or else everybody was going to die. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to say, I don't really remember the outcome because it didn't matter to me, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I just remember like the facts of the case and I was like, oh my God, this is wild. Um, but I think they ended up getting charged with murder and like back in the 1800s, you were killed for, right. you know, murdering. Right. People. Um, but yeah, it was like this whole debate of, was it out of necessity that they had to eat this guy? And is that right. excusable or is it murder? Cause they killed him and he was still alive, you know? So there's gotta be so many situations like that in law too, that are less black and white and more. And cause like, when you look at a case like that, black and white don't eat a person right it's illegal right. to eat a person yeah. <laughs> no matter what but when you are out to sea for 60 days you haven't eaten anything billy just died <laughs> and you don't know how much longer you're gonna be on the boat i don't know that's a that was a really tough dilemma yeah and i mean how many cases to this day that i don't think everything is black and white and fits no. in a box so much no, especially, I mean, in law, it's, you can argue everything. <laughs> right. That's our job is to argue right. everything and understand what the other side is going to argue so we can get ahead of it. And so, yeah, it's like, what, what do you do in that situation? And what does the most reasonable person do in that situation? Would you do the same thing? And it's, yeah, it can go on and on and on and on. <laughs> right. And it's like, not even is it always it's not not is it, it there's like two sides to every story right like when i worked at runnings theft was pretty bad people usually wanted to take um uh, the dewalt power tools right because you can take the power tools and then flip them and sell them on the facebook marketplace so a lot of times the guys would just grab it. They'd run out. We couldn't go after him. We couldn't do anything. And But sometimes we had one guy who gave up as we were about to block the door. And then he just was like breaking down, saying that he didn't have any money for his kids and yeah. or to eat. And then you, like part of you is like, well, how much of this is just kind of some bullshit story? But the other side of you is like, I just I, I want to give a guy like 20 bucks to go get Burger King or something. Right. For, you know, like sometimes I think people have to do some shitty things to make ends meet. And that's totally how do you decipher what's good and bad? Like that is, you guys have such a hard job. It is really hard. And you know, there's <laughs> there, we always say that there's three sides to every story. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. There's their side, your side, and, side uh, yeah, your side. And then the truth. Yep, right. <laughs> nobody is going to tell the whole truth. Or right. it's going to be skewed a little bit and e either because they think that's what happened or that's how they understood the way things happen, or they want to make it fit to them just a little bit better. So I guess, you know, our job is to advocate for our clients and based on the facts that they give us. 
So that's where a lot of people think, you know, a lot of people say, oh, lawyers are liars. But truly, we have to be advocates for our clients. So if our client is lying to us and we don't know that they're lying to us, we can only go based on what they, what they said. Right. If we find out they're lying, we have rules of ethics that we have to follow. So we cannot submit any documentation or information to the court that we know is untruthful. So, you know, it's, we have to look at our position. Okay. This is what my client is telling me. There's documentation from the other party. We have to compare them and say, all right, what's really going on here. And like me, I have a very open and transparent and straightforward conversation with my clients. Like, Hey, they're saying that this happened. They're saying that you hit them, you know, on this day because of this argument what happened? Like, you need to tell me the truth because if that did happen, then we need to like figure out a way to get in front of it. Meaning that you either like own up to it. And then we tell the court all the things that you've been doing to improve yourself since then, Hmm. or, you know, we just got to give this one to them or, you know, whatever the outcome may be. Right. Right. Oh man, you guys job. So intricate. (laughs) When someone comes to you, do you, when they start talking to you and interviewing you and stuff, do you kind of have the same system or formula of approach to each person? Is it kind of like identify their problems? How do we overcome their needs? What can, how do I fit into the puzzle? Like, is it the same kind of routine for them? Yeah, I think it, it's pretty similar, obviously based on what's happening. You know, if somebody is in immediate danger, then it's, definitely approach differently than somebody who's like, Hey, yeah, we're just going to get a divorce. We don't have any kids and we're actually so pretty amicable, but I just need your help making sure that our assets are divided correctly. Uh, Then it's like, okay, what is, what do you want out of this and how can we get there? Right. Right. And then kind of base your strategy and plan of attack around that. Yeah, on that. And then also what the court is going to allow to happen, because ultimately that's what matters. And so if they're asking for, oh, I want to take him for everything he's got. We hear that a lot. I want everything he's got. Well, you're not going to get everything he's got. So like, you know, (laughs) we're going to stop right there. Um, But this is what the court is probably going to do. So how can we fit what you want or what you think that you're entitled to in this divorce or in this child custody case into what the court will likely do. Right. And it's in when you approach it from that way, rather than fire her up or kind of dismiss the way she's feeling at the same time, you're, you're kind of like helping ground her in reality is like, listen, I, I hear you. I understand that guy's a dirtbag, but you can't take everything he has. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's especially easy here in Washington because we're a community property state. So like default, as soon as you marry someone, everything from there on forward is 50 50. So ah. I think a lot of people don't realize that. So that helps them. Oh, OK. Well, the law says, you know, default 50 50. Of course, there are situations where you know, you can kind of balance it a little bit more. Um, But like if somebody was a stay at home wife for 20 years and was a stay at home mom and didn't, hasn't worked or something, Mm -hmm. then there's room to kind of argue that they should get a little bit more. Um, But yeah, it does definitely help bring people back down from like going full off the rails. (laughs) Right. Right. And it's, I would imagine too, it's probably hard not to get wrapped up in the emotions sometimes, especially having a kid and having the kids involved. I'm sure a lot of times you've been in situations where it was kind of like heart wrenching or gut wrenching. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, I do have a hard time kind of separating myself from that, but we don't deal with like child abuse cases. Really. If there's abuse, then we figure that out, but we're not, the enforcers of, you know, like the criminal side of it. Yeah. Right. So that helps a little bit. 
Um, I think if I were involved in one of those type of situations, it would be a lot more difficult for me. Um, But, you know, knowing that it's your job to remain neutral and like the stability in the situation, that helps me not kind of get more emotionally involved. Yeah, you try. It also, you're also trying to keep like at an arm's length away from the, I say arm's length away from the transaction. Sometimes it's hard because you make these connections with people. Yeah. And then you, you know, little Tommy and you're like, man, he, he's a good kid going probably through some rough shit right now. Yeah. You know, for sure. But you know, the best thing that we can do is recommend them, you know, therapy for everyone, give them resources, you know, and we can only do so much. (laughs) So if somebody is not going to do it, we can't force them to do it. I mean, we could ask the court, to force them to do it, but right. sometimes they don't. Right. But that's also why I won't represent my friends. Yeah. <laughs> my Probably family. better that way, right? Oh yeah. Well, there's like conflicts rules, but I also like even if I know their kids or know of them pretty well, I won't do it because I I can't separate myself from my friends like that. Yeah. It'd be a lot harder to yeah. be fair to all parties i guess right yeah yeah right because you just you want to gas up your friends you want to you want to do the right thing for them yeah. all the time you yeah. know that's the tough part exactly and you know one thing too when we first were talking about doing the podcast one thing you wanted to talk about was women in law and you felt like not enough women are in law um what specifics like what do you think leads to that where what kind of percentage will make it two part? What kind of percentage of men versus women are in law? We'll start there. One, you know, I actually think it's pretty equal now. Yeah. Um, my, my law school class was majority women actually. So huh. I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the issue of there's not enough women in law. I think there's, there, <laughs> I think it's the, the patriarchy of that men are always looked at as more powerful in law than women are. Mm, interesting. So that, that's been a huge issue for our firm. My firm is mostly women. Um, I think we've, we have three men on staff right now that are amazing. We love them so much and the rest are women. So, right. Um, and they're very powerful and strong and, um, like confident women and a lot of the good old boys club attorneys don't like that. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. So, you know, we're a, a lot of young women. Most of us are in our thirties um, and they just don't like losing to women in their thirties, I guess. <laughs> it's it's a weird thing. Yeah. I think, I think that'll change a lot too. When, when, the older generation, I know it sounds like I'm kind of grouping people, but I think a lot of that lies with that, that old generation mentality. And I hope I don't piss anybody off when I say that, but I think that's kind of the cult of most of the, the issues, you know, cause it's, I mean, what are you going to do? You can't, you can't be upset that you lost a trial court to a bunch of juries. Like you don't, nobody's got control of that. You know what I mean? I mean, there have been times where, you know, I was talking to an opposing counsel and he wasn't really even that old. He was, he's in his forties, I think. Um, and I just, I'm like, Hey, you know, next time this happens, we're going to have to file a motion to do this. Right. And that's very standard language for us because we're talking back and forth and letting you know, like, this isn't okay. And if it happens again, we're going to move forward with court And I was told that I was being threatening and, you know, that I was being Mm -hmm. aggressive, but, you know, and I sat down and I talked with my boss about it because I'm like, wow, the last thing I need is a complaint against me when I'm trying to get my bar license. Right. Right. And she's like, no, this happens all the time. Do you think that, you know, he would have said the same thing to a man Mm -hmm. if they said that to him? And I was like, Probably not because I wasn't being aggressive that I was saying, you know, like this is, so we're on the same page. Like if this, if your client does this again, then my client's willing to go to court and 
I mean, that's literally what we talk about every day. <laughs> right, right. So it just like things are taken way too out of proportion. I think if, if somebody like myself or other women at my firm lay boundaries or communicate directly with some of the other council members that I kind of have that more like conservative mindset, um, they don't like it. And they really, you know, have, have an issue with talking to everybody the same way. <laughs> it seems so weird. It seems, it's just like, oh, duh, you should talk to everybody the same way you would talk to each human being. Yeah. I, I wonder, how do you think we would like fix something like that? How do you, what do you think the solution is other than just obviously being nice to one another? I have no idea. I know, maybe like more education, maybe like more. I don't even do you guys have that. to do any like continuing education classes yeah. when you get your license? We do. Yeah. And a lot of our commissioners and now judges are women. And so it's just weird to me that sometimes you'll even see them in a hearing go off on the judge and talk like the same person. We were interpreting a statute, which is a law. And he was in, he was interpreting it incorrectly. And the judge or the commissioner came back and said, well, that's not the statute. That's not how the statute's read. And he was like, I don't agree with your interpretation. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, what? Right. <laughs> you know? And so I don't know. I think, you know, does he need to be called out in that moment for it to register or like, will that perpetuate that kind right. of opinion i have no idea that could have that could have just poured gasoline on the fire right because <laughs> me I, I would have been like council do not talk to me like that you know what i mean or whatever right, right. and but that do was, not talk to me like that your honor in my court. Right. <laughs> right like <laughs> you could have gotten like a argument on this here in this hearing but i have no idea but it, it's wild it happens all the time yeah i do you do you feel like you see a lot of cases like that happen in front of you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's gotta be so wild because listen, I'm yeah. a white dude, surprise, and <laughs> never am I put in uncomfortable positions like that. Other right. than one time. One time I got I first got into real estate. There was an older couple that came in that was a walk-in. They were looking to buy a house. So I invited him into the office so we could chat about what they wanted. And I had Dunkin' Donuts in my hand and I was drinking my coffee. It was like nine o'clock in the morning. And he goes, you drink Dunkin', huh? And I said, uh, yeah, it's, I, I love stopping at Dunkin' on my way through. And he looked at me dead serious and was like, I thought Dunkin' was for women. And I'm like, <laughs> I, like I didn't even know how to respond. Like child, like my jaw was on the floor. I'm like, ah, uh, Oh, okay. And then just trying to like make banter. I'm like, well, where do you like to get coffee? Where does a man get coffee? I guess he's like, well, I like Burger King because they make it fresh every day. I'm like Burger King farts in the can. Like when they make you a coffee, you're not supposed to get like when you order a coffee at Burger King, the people are like, are you sure you want a coffee? You're sure you want one? Yeah. You sure? <laughs> That's the only example. So I've been very yeah. lucky, Chelsea, because yes. I am a white dude that never gets put in those situations. Well, obviously, you're like a very feminine white dude because do you go to Dunkin'? Probably. <laughs> I probably was wearing skinny khakis that day. That probably also threw him for a loop. Yeah. You know, he's probably like hiding behind all the rage he had anyways. But yeah, I couldn't imagine having to see that all day and deal with it. And especially when... Like that was a pretty easy thing to deal with. You just laugh. I just kind of laughed and rolled rolled it off my shoulders, right? Yeah. But different situations, I could see being very serious and being a little bit more hard to roll off the shoulder. Yeah, and I think you know, for me, I was just more. I didn't care that he said that to me. I don't care, right? Like, right. I'm very secure with myself, so that didn't make me feel any type of way. Right. But I was more anxious that how is he going to retaliate if I respond to him? And I like professionally, you can make a bar complaint about anyone and right. they have to investigate it. And so I'm like, that's the last thing I need right now. Once I'm trying to right. be barred in this state. 
Um, so that was more my place. And I think that comes from, you know, a lot of women, we have to think about how men are going to react or retaliate in these situations where you normally wouldn't think that you would have to think about those things going forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise we just kind of laugh it off. Um, you know, we had somebody, we had this older, (laughs) this older council, uh, call one of our paralegals caddy the other day (laughs) because she was trying to schedule a phone call with him and, and, uh, one of the managing partners and he, he wouldn't give her a straight answer. And she was like, Hey, I just need to confirm, does this day work for you? And then it was like blown out of proportion. And she was like, I'm just trying to confirm with you. Can you do this day or not? And he was like, wow, you don't need to be so catty. (laughs) I thought catty was like when you were like being gossipy. Yeah. I don't know. It was just, I don't know make any sense and so you know and she's so wonderful we all just kind of like rallied behind her and you know my the managing partner was like don't ever talk to my paralegal like that again right that's <laughs> so, so hey hey man we're gonna buy you coffee like we just wanted to talk that's like can you do coffee <laughs> Jeez, man just relax how dare you <laughs> right You're how dare you be so me. kind and generous and offer me a, a cup of coffee right yeah, it's stuff like that. It, it's just wild. <laughs> Have you ever thought about starting your own firm? Um, I think initially I did. Yes. Now, no, not anywhere in the future. Um, I really love the firm I'm with right now. And they, I mean, there's room to become a partner, which, you know, I would have equal interest in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my ultimate goal. I think I just love them so much. And I don't think I would ever find a group of people who I relate to on so many levels. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. That could change, but right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it seems like there's a lot more at risk Yeah. When, when it's your firm, you know, Yes. a lot more at risk. That's, that's like more, uh, when you get that big baller Chelsea money right there that's that's when you're like ah throw that hail mary we're opening up our own (laughs) our own law firm yeah well the nice thing about the way that this firm runs is that we only when you when you make it to that point you only have shared overhead of you know running the business that you Mm. split amongst the partners and then everything else that you make above that is yours Mm. and so really i mean it would kind of be dumb to leave that to do yeah. your own thing, unless you have a lower amount of shared overhead, which is going to be very hard to do. <laughs> right. Right. That's like the other day, one of my buddies asked if I would ever start my own brokerage, my real estate. I'm like, but then I got to pay rent on a house or on a, on a building. And then I got to hire an admin and then I lose all these programs I have in place. And then then I lose all this other cool stuff. I'm like, no, no, I'm okay with this. This setup's very okay with me right now. Yes. Yeah. You know? Unless you start like selling the multi-million dollar homes and, you know, going exactly. being like, I don't know, famous people's real estate agents, then maybe right. that might be different, but <laughs> maybe, but maybe. even that you ever watch, like my wife loves uh, selling sunset and that's just a completely different real estate. <laughs> like I don't want that. I don't, I want nothing to do with that. I'm okay selling $150,000 starter homes to first time home buyers. That feels a little bit more real and personal to me. Yeah. More reward for sure. Yeah. And they talk about 1.5 million. Now go to 1.3 and we'll meet in the middle and we'll go (laughs) 1.4. I'm like, God, that's so much money. Like that is a lot of money at stake. I know. know uh, So I'm Canadian. I I was looking into houses up in Vancouver, BC, where my family's from. Yeah. And my house here, I paid, you know, right under three for it almost 10 years ago. And it's, you know, it's a pretty standard home. It's like 2000 square feet. And I was looking at similar homes up in Vancouver, million dollars, million or more. It's, it's just insane right now. (laughs) It's blown up over there, right? Oh yeah. 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 That's, um, that's a lot of people. Like in New York, we have a lot of high property taxes, which kind of really affect what people can 
can afford. Yeah. And uh, my friend Ryan, we sold his house for like two fifty, and he moved to Florida, which has zero Florida tax, <laughs> literally zero uh, estate tax, no real estate tax. Yeah. He was able to afford a house that was like six hundred thousand. It's like wow. what? Like New York just is totally asinine through some of the taxes you have to pay on on your house it's yeah. totally through the roof do you guys have property tax out there yes yeah, yeah. washington's um isn't as bad as oregon's mm-hmm. um, but it's it's pretty high depending on like seattle area for sure um i think ours down here in southwest washington is a bit more average but yeah yeah huh well, how about this? We'll finish the podcast with one more question. Okay. With anybody who's in law school right now, what's one piece of advice you wish you had gotten? Drop out. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drop out. It's a lot of money. Um, if you're in law school right now, I would say don't stress out about reading every single case that you are told to read. It's not going to happen. So don't stress out about it. Use your resources. Use Google if you have to. Um, But there's lots of case briefs out there on different platforms. So don't try to read everything yourself. You're not going to ever achieve that. (laughs) All right. Two parts to the last question. Okay. (laughs) Second part is what about a piece of advice of somebody who's looking to pursue uh, law as a career? Prepare for massive amounts of student loan debt um, and really make sure this is what you want to do. (laughs) Don't just go into it. If you think you might want to do law, I don't think it would be worth it if you're not completely sure because it is very emotionally tolling. Um, which can lead yeah. to being physically tolling as well. So for sure, do for some sure. pros and cons list and like talk to your family and support system before you actually do it. <laughs> that's that's good good advice. Not only for law, for literally anything you have to go to school for it. It will be expensive with school loans. Please talk to a support system. Make sure you know that that's what you want to do. <laughs> and it also completely changed my outlook of like going to hardcore and metal shows because. I can't sit there and watch shows and not think of all of the liabilities that could be happening at one time. And it ruins it. And my friends make fun of me now. I'm like, oh, they shouldn't do that. What if they get sued? Yeah. (laughs) Which is like so dumb. Like, yes, that's really dumb of me as a former hardcore kid to think about those things. And it totally ruins the experience. But like, I can't. You're a total mom now. I'm such a mom, like in yeah. more ways than one. And I'm like, oh, please don't get hurt. You know, like. <laughs> so, oh, my yeah. God, that guy's windmilling. No, he's going to knock somebody yeah. unconscious. Oh. <laughs> there was that oh. one piece about that. Was it, There was a girl that somebody was headwalking with steel-toed boots on. And she God. ended up getting her jaw, like she had to get her jaw reconstructed. And oh. her, I don't remember if it was her or her parents that sued the venue. And people were pissed about it. They were like, why would they sue the venue? And I'm like, because it's a liability. And I'm like, oh God, why am I like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> old Chelsea would be so mad at me right now. Right. I'm like I am so lame, but I'm like, I can see why they'd want to do that. I'm sure those medical bills are expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, God, 20 year old Chelsea is screaming at me right now. hundred percent. hundred percent. I, that happened to me the other day. I, we took my little cousin to Legoland and we went, uh, we're walking through and I'm realizing my cousin hasn't had, he hasn't like drinking much water at all today. And I go, buddy, you want a water? He's like, yeah, sure, sure. So we stop at this concession stand. I get a Coke and a bottle of water for $15. Like a, like a tiny, not like a two liter, like two, a little tiny bottles. And I remember when the guy cashed me out, he was like 1450 or 15, whatever. I was like, uh, no, no. I just said a bottle of water and a Coke. And he's like, yeah. 1530 and i took it and i remember saying i can't believe i just paid 15 dollars for this and then it was like my dad it was like my dad's voice in the back of my head was like you should have brought your own waters and then all of a sudden you're like this is highway robbery and and then you're like 
get off my lawn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's that's yeah. where we're at. So. <laughs> Uh, with that being said, I'm going to go sit on my uh, front porch and go kick those kids off. Yeah, do it. <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea, thanks for doing this. I appreciate the hell out of you. Yes, thanks so much, Corey.